Members of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Oh, and real pilots fly Cessnas. All right. So listen, what's this? So here's, tell me Whoa. if you agree Spit with Spit it me. out, son. Spit it out. I think these two pilots are in such big trouble. All right. This is this Hawaiian, <laughs> it's not Hawaiian Airlines, but it's a an airline from Hawaii. What was it, like Go Airlines or something like Go that? Go Airlines. All right. Inner Island. Okay. They just had the volume turned down. They just had, yeah, they just had the volume down. They were just like playing Pong or something like that. No, they, what else could possibly so for people they they're they're flying doing there's a little hop between a couple of islands and they just like completely overshoot the destination and ATC is saying uh hello hello are you there and they're not answering and they're just like cruising along like way yeah, for what was it 11 minutes or so Some, I mean a 12 long minutes time, a long time you know and uh, and uh, and they well fly- let's put it this way you know the bad news is that they pull the cockpit voice recorder but it uh-huh. must have it must have cycled by then right by no, not in that period. Oh, really? They pulled a breaker? No, well, I mean, pulled, the, 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 the investigators have had, right. have pulled the cockpit voice recorder. Wait a minute. Right. They, were, and, and they, were 11 minutes, they were 11 minutes beyond their destination. Those things are only like 15 minutes long, right? The no, little, no, no, no. The, they're longer. The newer, ones, the newer ones are longer. Oh, are they really? Okay. Well, then these guys well I mean, totally 25, years ago, 25 years ago, they were uh, 30 minutes. You're right. Because all kidding aside, nothing – they fell asleep. I mean – Yikes! They fell asleep. Well, here, the best thing these guys can hope for right now, yeah, you know, show from, me, just show from, me this ring, from this ringside seat, the best thing yeah. that these guys can hope for right now is that there's Vaseline involved and they get kissed <laughs> because they are so in trouble. <laughs> they are really in trouble, and they're just like completely going, uh, "Nope, no problem, no emergency. We're okay. Everything's fine." And. Um, Show the me an FAR. Just didn't break, you know. Where, where, show me the FAR though that says you can't fall asleep in the cockpit. Well, no, I don't think they're in trouble with the FAA necessarily. Although, oh come on, man, come, oh, on, come man. on, man, the, the FAA catch-all. Yeah, right. That's right. right. In, in, you know, in, endangerment. But you know, they just lost their jobs. I mean, they're just like so screwed. That 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 would to me would be getting kissed and having a lubricant uh, <laughs> is losing their jobs. Uh, You're making it life. really hard for me to use this at the beginning of the podcast. Cut it out. <laughs> and, and since you know they're in Hawaii, as it were, I haven't said anything strong. dirty. Yeah, I'm sorry, Jeb. What they're in Hawaii? So what? They're in Hawaii. There's a strong likelihood sand might get in that Vaseline. Ooh, Dave, what was this other one that you put on the list here? That uh, I don't know. Uh, wait a minute. It's it, it's the second one on my list. It said, "At last, relief we can use." Oh yeah. So I'm reading this the story, and if this story is what I think it is, well, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, what Jack. Right, right, right up front here. We have to we have to yeah. ask a, 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 an observational question. Yeah, you've never flown maximum range, maximum tanks on an airplane, have you? No. And spent the last ninety minutes with your legs crossed and the left foot on the right rudder pedal and the right foot on the left rudder pedal. All right, I can because yeah, to do otherwise would be to invite a corrosion source into the airplane cockpit. <laughs> So, so this is a uh, a. Uh, it's a, a relief help. system. It's a yeah. relief system. Yeah. Fitting and sizing. 
Maintenance and cleaning the control unit. Yeah, the A yeah. the AMXD uh, trademark uh, is a bladder relief device for pilots, manual. mechanized the, troops, and ground troops. The manual even has yellow text. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at that; it didn't flash on me. Man, I'm slow. I have to admit, though, that 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 the uh, my first thought when I was reading this story is this would though be a problem if these pilots were also using the Viagra-like pilot performance improvement device or product or well yeah that's yeah. quite a possibility i mean we're going to start uh, getting into unintended consequences here yeah, exactly yeah, it's, you it's, know it's like right. you have to test products you know with each other that's that's what we do in the well, computer it, world and it, it struck me as notable that the uh for for the male use of this brilliant device i yes. mean i, I got to tell you when i got an airplane again i start flying 6 hour plus legs again which i know will happen uh, this is on my short list uh, of, of accessories to put in well, here. Dave, more, I mean, more information. Short, yeah. short, short list. I mean, yeah, that's a little bit more information. Than we need. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know about you, but every bloody time I've ever needed to use those handy little dual-purpose barf bag uh, uh, Mother Nature collection units uh-huh. that uh, that you can buy commonly. They've got a little pick. Wax paper funnel, a one-way right. valve, a gel like kitty litter that turns liquid to solid, uh, no aroma. You fold it over and you throw it away when you get on the ground. Now, you know, every this time is you a very personal observation here, but every time I've ever needed to use it, the uh, length of the plumbing available to reach the funnel was in negative numbers. It just <laughs> would not go there. <laughs> Okay. All right. I'm convinced. <laughs> Welcome, folks, to episode number 73 of Uncontrolled you, Airspace. You, you for, once ask. for once, he's gotten me speechless. <laughs> the General Aviation <laughs> Podcast. We are recording this podcast on uh, Thursday evening, March Oh, my 20, God. We're recording this? Oh, 2008. Geez. It's the first day of spring. It's the first day of spring, and it's 17, 17 days until I arrive in Florida. So. I thought it was going to be like 17 degrees up there. No, no, no. It's been, I mean, for us, it's been nice. It's been in the 40s every day for like a week now. It's, it's although it's, by, it, usually by now we have a couple of days that have really tipped over into like, you know, 50 and even 60 degree weather, and I haven't had those yet, but uh, but I have no complaints. Although it did snow here a couple uh, the day before yesterday or yesterday. Well, it, got, it, it got it into did? the low 70s here, I believe, and that was tempered by an unusually cool south wind that was gusting into the low 30s well according the to the news you guys are having like the second coming of noah's ark out there or is that not a, well, not a kansas it, thing it, actually the funny thing is that what's been so devastating uh in the ohio river valley uh, east of the mississippi uh kind of formed up here and just inundated us early in the week but it was moving away as it did it. It was an overnight gully washer. I mean, one that left standing water in the streets and, uh, you know, old tree limbs that uh, shed themselves from old trees and stuff like that. But nothing that did any real damage to anything. Uh, but as that puppy moved east, gee, many Christmas. Just yeah. incredible. Yeah. Yeah, well, apparently They've it They've closed it really the floodgates in my home down on the Ohio River. Uh-huh. Is this the same one that, that spawned the tornadoes in Atlanta? Uh-huh. Oh yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah, that is was the really leading edge of it. The big uh, rain was the rest of it. Okay. Yeah, because I guess it's like uh, Missouri and Oklahoma and, and a handful of other states have had some pretty serious flooding. People died. I mean, all, no kidding around. I mean, it's, oh, yeah, yeah. It's I mean, very, it's very, been very... really serious. When I say that they closed the floodgates and the flood wall in my hometown, Jeffersonville, Indiana, uh, at least that's what my mother told me uh, uh, today when I called to check on her, uh, that means the water is way the hell out of its normal banks and encroaching on. Uh, on habitable space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and so that's Jeffersonville's favorite son, Dave Higdon. Dave, <laughs> Dave is an aviation photographer, a senior editor for Kit Planes magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales magazine. And these days, he hangs out in Wichita, Kansas. Hi, Dave. Oh, uh, finer and frog hair. Uh, got the last of uh, the, the lineys that I got for last episode. Uh, all chilled and in their little coats. And this is the Doppelbach, right? The Doppelbach. This is the big called? butt Doppelbach, yeah. Big butt Doppelbach. And, and as I pointed out earlier, big butt Doppelbach <laughs> is. Okay. I think, you really want to go there? You really want to go? Think, there? All right, go ahead. What the heck? I, I think the name of of someone with whom I was forced to double date back in high school. <laughs> it was a blind date. It was a blind date. And, uh, well, and that he, man who will never ever get another date with a woman again is uh, Jeb Burnside. <laughs> At least with a, a pilot woman. Any woman who lives the uncontrolled airspace, listens to uncontrolled airspace, is uh, it will will never want to have anything to do with Jeb Burnside, uh, who is an aviation journalist currently serving as editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine, and he's talking to us from beautiful. Sarasota, Florida. I'm I'm ready for it to be beautiful now. No, yeah, I'm you, not giving you, you any more grief about being beautiful because I'm going to be there in 17 days. So. That's right. <laughs> but who's counting? Uh, but who's counting? Yeah, me. Um, no, we're we're uh, looking forward to having you down here and, and showing you what um, what spring and and uh, uh, can can really be like. I, I I'm not too worried about. Um, um, well, never mind. I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not going to go down that path any further. I'm already. You're already a dead man, Jeb. Go ahead. Yeah. Don't worry about it. I heard your name on another podcast today, Jeb. I was listening to an episode of uh, Will Hawkins, uh, uh-huh. uh, pilot f- flight pod log, and right. uh, and he was interviewing a guy uh, who. And this is just so. I mean, I still can't get over this this concept. But this guy was clearly a, a listener of our podcast as well. A guy named Jeff, who is uh, I think his name was Jeff. I hope I got it right. Um, who's based up here? I ought to search out Jeff just to say hi. But yeah. he's up here someplace, and he was being interviewed on on uh, and he's uh, and and he's uh, was telling a story about uh, a mishap during his long solo cross country, and. Uh, and and your name came up because they were talking about apparently apparently what happened was Jeff busted the class Bravo the Boston class oh. Bravo on his solo on his long cross country, and um Ow. and they prefaced his story he said he said as Jeb Burnside says the the, the statute of limitations is over on this one I think ah <laughs> <laughs> yeah no 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 he didn't say well I actually haven't gone all the way through the podcast yet I had to stop halfway because I had to start prepping for this he may use that line before we're done but you uh, prep for this. Yeah. Believe it or not, yeah. Man, I wow. don't. Yeah, I have to change on my little script here. I have to change the episode number by one every week. And uh, I just changed from coffee cup to beer mug. There you go. Uh-huh. And I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. I'm in Woo-hoo! Boston, Massachusetts, where it's slowly getting to be spring, but I don't care because I'm going to Florida soon. That's right. What's going on in the world of aviation here? Let's see now. Uh, Been another quiet week at airport will be gone 
Yeah, that's right. Another another quiet week. Uh, our friend Randy Dufault sent us a cool picture. Uh, he, oh, uh, man. Love it to death. Thank you, Randy. He sent Good us a picture of, uh, from the air. Uh, he was out flying uh, one day recently and happened to be flying over the factory of, uh, 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 I always say just Lineys. What is it? Leinenkugel, right? Leinenkugel. Leinenkugel's uh, brewery beer. I for, uh, sorry, Chippewa I Falls, Wisconsin. And so he snapped a, a very nice picture of uh, the factory from the air and uh, Posted on our forum, and uh, it sparked a lot of conversation, and uh, and uh, you know has us thinking about about uh, Wisconsin, all the, all sort of reminding us of our good thoughts of Wisconsin. So that's kind of cool. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's... So uh, that was kind of cool. You should check out the forums. If everybody who who hasn't already should uh, visit the forums. Jeb even stopped stopped in this week. Or, I, actually, I you stop in on a regular basis. I get there every now and then. You you make reference to something that makes me realize you've been reading. But you actually posted a couple things this past week. Well, there, there were there were a few things. I was just trying to get caught up on some things, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm just woefully behind on so many things, personal and professional. And and uh, the the forum uh, is something that I. I want to participate in much more than I have been and I just ask uh, listeners uh, perseverance and patience speaking of things from Wisconsin that we love uh, (laughs) I don't know where that came from Uh, but we certainly do admire uh, segway's a segue I know really you you gotta gotta take what you can get segway do you go George segway do you go an old EAA friend of ours the the, a long time boss of our boss uh, Scott Spangler uh, yes sort of surfaced in my little on my radar screen recently note I discovered noticed him uh, uh, having written a story on a uh, a website uh, called Jetwine which is sort of a you know, subtitled aviation buzz and bold opinion and uh, it's an it's an I, I've just n- I'd never seen this site before and I sort of stumbled across this story um, that Scott wrote for them um, it's an interesting story now, even if Scott hadn't written it it is an interesting story the title being is technology killing sport pilots future and Scott writes about the the fact that a lot of the uh, the sport uh, the uh, LSA class aircraft that are appearing have very very sophisticated panels, and he wonders if maybe that's too much. What do you guys think? I think there's a place for um, a, a simple airplane. Um, I think uh, the the con the original concept of the LSA was a stick and rudder, uh, look out the window, uh, fly by pilotage uh, type of uh, aviation, um, and there. <clears throat> is and will continue to be uh, not only a place for that, but a warm spot in my heart for that. Um, that on, the other, on the other side of the coin, <laughs> uh, and Scott, makes a, Scott has a perfect, uh, perfectly reasonable point here. On the other side of the coin, uh, I kind of would tend to think that anything that gets more pilots into this uh, activity, I, don't, I won't call it a sport, but, it, but uh, this hobby, this avocation, um, or vocation, for that matter, that gets more people more involved and, and um, um, strengthens the health of this industry is a good thing. And if that means a few uh, uh, glass panels or uh, a few moving maps, um, I don't have any problem with that. There's also a safety factor here, too, where... Um, um, Which has been uh, demonstrated, uh, studied, yeah. and acknowledged in several yeah. places. Um, so I, I think um, uh, while Scott has a valid point, um, 
I, I think that there's enough to go around for everybody. And uh, uh, me, you know, I, I don't. I don't have a light sport. Uh, I have a you know a traveling airplane that's a car car three airplane with moving map and an autopilot and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's sporty uh, but heavy. Well, it's yeah, it's, it doesn't and quite fit the definition. Very fast, yeah. Um, but um, and it's a go places airplane. Uh, right. If I had if I had an LSA, uh, I might have you know some some electronic gadgets in it, but mainly it would be a day VFR look out the window kind of thing. And uh, I would look forward to having something like that. Uh, um, you never know what I'm going to do. Uh, um, when well, I sit down to write checks, but. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, there, there, there's a place for for both. If the customer pilot for these airplanes didn't have a choice, uh, it'd be a lot easier for me to to fall in a little more sync with Scott, you know, good good old friend, great guy to work for, uh, love him to death, and, and and got to acknowledge that part of what he does for Jetwine is voice opinions that are going to uh, spur discussions. You know, if they were boring and safe and easy, nobody would read it and we wouldn't be talking about it. And he wouldn't have gotten 20-odd posts on the, in response to it. Uh, it, it. You know, here's here's the gig. There's a huge variety of kind of light sport aircraft available out there. I mean, beyond the fixed wing, there's powered parachutes and weight shift control, uh, a.k.a. trikes. Uh, and uh, some motor glider models even. Uh and it's still a, a matter of pick what kind of flying you want to do, even yeah. within the little LSA realm here, that light end. Uh, you got stick and rudder airplanes that uh, are largely being delivered like stick and rudder airplanes. And, and I don't consider the addition of a portable GPS that happens to have a ma- moving map as a, a, a big takeover in technology when the rest of the panel is still you know, analog as it is with some of these airplanes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a matter of what you want to do and what you're going to do with the airplane. Uh, some of them are re- able to push the, the very edge of the speed limit for a light sport aircraft, uh, which is faster than your average run-of-the-mill Cherokee or Skyhawk. Well, you no, know, it's interesting. I, I was I picked up a copy of Kit Plans. Uh, a couple of days ago, yeah, I was thumbing through it, and uh, I was struck by the number of LSAs that they were talking about uh, in an article that all cruised at 120 knots. They didn't cruise at 118. <laughs> they didn't cruise at 119. Funny how that works, they all, huh? They all cruised at 120, and I just, I just thought, well, of course, <laughs> but um, uh, yeah. For those not in the know, 120 is the legal maximum that what that an LSA can is allowed. Thank, to, thank to, you. I should have said that. It's allowed to and, cruise at. So, uh, and it, it, anybody that's owned or spent any time in a uh, in a 172 or a PA 28 knows that the book speed and what you actually get when you're trying to go someplace can vary by a few knots. Mm-hmm. Uh, most typically, it does vary by, by a few knots because once upon a time, airplanes got baseline test flown without pesky little things like antennas uh which tended to slow them down a little bit so uh, yeah there was but, there was a go ahead 
Well, I was just going to say, the fact is that folks out there have a choice in the kind of airplane they want to get in, in, in the LSA category for the kind of flying. If they want to do basic stick and rudder, down low and slow, bush plane-like nostalgia flying for the golden age airplane, you know, there's two versions of the, of the old Piper Cub. Uh, there's a, 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 an airplane out of Hayes, Kansas, that's in the exact same vein. Uh, instead of being a cub, it's a, a, a standalone design that's evolved into a tandem seat, tail wheel, 100 horse, and in real life, 110 knot or so airplane. Respectable. Uh, if you really want to get up and go places, man, there's carbon fiber sophistication, high wing, tricycle gear, 100 pound luggage compartments, enough payload to go 1,000 miles. At 120 knots. Mm -hmm. That's a long time in the air. That's why I put that relief device on the list. (laughs) (laughs) If you're flying 120 knots and you're going to try to go maximum range, you're going to be up there for a while. You're going to need to drink something just to stay safely hydrated. And, and, you know, you look look back, you know, I I learned, I soloed a 150. Uh, Got my private in a 150. Um 150 is is uh, um, I I, th- I think it's just a little bit too fast and a little bit too heavy to be an LSA. Yeah, I think so. It's not but, too fast. It is too heavy. Yeah, but the LSA um, basically will run circles around it as far as range and and economy and and Absolutely. a variety of other little factors. Um, so I mean, there's a, certainly a technological uh, improvement um, over the over the time, but um, <clears throat> the LSAs are so much more capable than that little 150. Well, and, and Scott made a point about the original intent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we we hear about original intent. Yeah, and, constitutional and Scott makes some questions. It, Scott has a very good point there. He does have a good point. Uh, Which was what? Well, back about. 13 years ago, a guy named John Ballantyne, who was the founder and head of the U.S. Ultralight Association, proposed, for, you know, filed a formal petition that the FAA create a category for United States pilots comparable to the microlight standards that were already in effect in Canada and Europe. And those microlight standards allowed very lightweight to place aircraft that could actually go 100 knots or so. And uh, the the licensing for them was uh, a, a little more relaxed, and you didn't need a medical, you needed a driver's license. And the FAA was, you know, years coming around to it before they got in, in line with the industry and formed the ASTM process that resulted in the LSA standards and all that. No, did, anyway, the original intent when this, this, this whole thing got rolling that be- Came light sport aircraft was to find a way to legally accommodate what was uh, a little gray area in the ultralight fleet where the airplanes were a little bit heavy and maybe a little fast but nobody was doing anything about it there was the waivers for two-seat trainers there was the desire to be able to create a category of flying at that end that uh, was better than the recreational pilot's license which felt flatter than you know, uh, a crepe pancake is too thick, flat, flatter than a crepe when it was introduced. Yeah. And uh, it took the FAA a long time to sign on, to start the process, to get the community involved. Uh, so the standards came out. 
in the meantime, the technology that was available to even the oldest, cheapest airplanes that we fly in the GA fleet and stuff available for uh, light experimental that were you know, increasingly available is ready to put together kits in a box. Boy, the technology available to those airplanes just kind of went explosive. Yeah. And the way the LSA rules were written, uh, a lot of that equipment is eligible to be used in the light sport aircraft. And folks just kind of followed the way GA is going in general. Uh, there are fewer and fewer airplanes out there being delivered with steam gauge panels. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, another point, and not to not to be the the final word, but we kind of have flogged this one to death. Another point, though, here is that a lot of the the people being attracted newly into aviation and and specifically being attracted to LSAs um, have basically grown up with computers. That's true. Um, That's true. And and not having grown up with flight simulator or grown up, you know, with some variation uh, on that general theme and not having some kind of whiz-bang LCD with, with pretty pictures on it um, would kind of be to destroy their expectations of what they were getting into. Well, and you can't so, ignore you can't ignore the idea that some of these are being bought to be the new level of primary trainer, with the knowledge true. that the students are coming into aviation this way, with all the intent and 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 uh, ambition to move to a private pilot's license later, whether after be flying similarly. Uh, tech, technologically advanced airplanes uh so it really does prep them for what's down the road in a lot of ways yeah well we sure probably should move on here but uh it's good to hear from scott again good points good to hear from scott again and uh scott was great he was great to us he he left absolutely uh, he he left DAA uh, what two summers ago or something like that and uh about two years ago now but he was about a year ago now you know it's funny i was never 100 percent sure he was like the head of publications right he was like the pretty much yeah yeah so uh we we've often talked about rick reynolds being our boss when we go out there in the summer and uh scott Scott was rick's boss rick's boss scott Scott was very supportive uh, a pleasure to work with uh, and um, you know, a rare among uh, um, some bosses with whom I've worked, they back you up. Yeah, he was great. He is yeah, great. He, he, was, he was excellent. But he, he, he was a terrific boss's boss. He and, understood uh, what we do. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I urge people. I just kind of discovered this uh, website, Jetwine, and there's some interesting stories. It's a it's sort of a blog, but a little bit more professional than a personal blog. Um, obviously, got Scott writing for it. Um, uh, it's edited by a guy named Robert Mark, and there's just a lot of interesting uh, aviation stories on it. I recommend you take a look and see what you has pretty good aviation credentials of his own. Yeah. Mm. Jetwine.com. Let's see now. Uh, So, uh, okay, here we go, Dave. You ready? Are you ready? Have you? you, This is one of Dave's subjects. I don't know. What what are you talking about? Uh, This is uh, the uh, DOT inspector's report finds that GA is, uh, that GA materially contributes to the national airspace congestion. Zone. You know, it's a funny story. You know, I have I have one thing to say in response. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This is from a story on uh, avweb.com. It says, on March 3, the Office of the Inspector General of the Department of Transportation quietly released an audit on the use of the National Airspace System, the NAS. Isn't, here's what interests me. What, yeah. What, what, what kind of fascinates me about this 
is that the only people to make any noise about the contents of this report have been the Air Transportation, yeah, Air, well, Air Transport Association, Air Transport Association. That, that was going to be my question. Let me just finish reading this first paragraph here. The I'm au- sorry, go ahead. The, yes, the audit, absolutely. and it's just so because, you know, you, you, you <laughs> we pretend we know what we're, go- we're talking about, but our listeners probably have no clue. Uh, the audit, uh, initiated by then Aviation Subcommittee Chairman Representative John L. Micah of, uh, from Florida, found that, uh, quote, air carriers and non-air carriers, including general aviation and business jet operators, all make sufficient use of the NAS so as to materially contribute to FAA's costs and congestion in general. Non-air- Nobody debated that. Non-aircraft yeah. carrier traffic yeah. accounted for up to 30% of the peak level instrument approach operations at the New York Tracon in 2005, exactly. according to one example. Anyways, it's so. Is this a good good report, or is this just them no, let, making let me their point case? Out something here before we go any further down this this primrose path here. The phrase "air carrier" yeah is a mis- is a red herring here. Um, air carriers and non-air carriers. An air carrier is everything from uh, a 747 or a 777 with United Colors on the side down to a Skyhawk being flown under a 135 certificate VFR. Okay, Everything in between, in, in including those two extremes, are, quote, air carriers, unquote, under the FAA and DOT regulations. So to use this terminology... Um, doesn't tell me anything. Okay. Well, and it, it, it's yeah. interesting. Well, it's interesting to me, a that uh, the DOT's IG office, quote unquote, quietly released this, apparently with not a lot of uh, of uh, crowing on their own part about doing the report that the congressman requested and what it said. Mm-hmm. Uh, second, uh, ATA for some magical reason, uh, seemed to have uh, priority access to what the report said because uh, they were able to put together a press release crowing about their perspective before a lot of the industry even knew that the report had been, quote-unquote, quietly released. And and Uh, this this surprised no one. So then you have to kind of start to question the conclusion of the only observer to the report's contents to comment on it. That's decidedly one-sided. We don't know the other side yet exactly. But at the end of the day, nobody ever said GA didn't contribute to congestion in some high-density areas. Nobody ever said that. It's not like we know we're scot-free and influencing it. What we said was we're not the prime movers of the problems in those areas, which we'll hear about from the other side in due time here. Uh, And the other thing that we've said going all going all along is that if you grounded all of general aviation tomorrow the demands placed on the air traffic control system the national airspace system by the air carriers or let's put it another way by the scheduled airlines would mean that we would still need an air traffic control system pretty much the same size we have now well, there's, there's an interesting experiment that played out in the aftermath of the, 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 the tragic attacks on 911, and that was the closure of Washington National Airport to all GA traffic. Mm-hmm. And it was closed to GA traffic for several years. I'm talking right. about zero stuff here except except for government GA aircraft flying out of Hangar 6, of which there were a few, but... Traffic problems at National Airport 
and spacing problems and ramp problems and bad weather problems did not materially improve or change all those years in GA was barred from the airport. And that was a pretty popular GA destination. Oh, absolutely it was. You know, uh, I mean, the proximity to downtown uh, Washington, the District of Columbia, to the lobbying outfits on 14th Street and Capitol Hill and, and, and all these different federal departments, whether on the Virginia side or on the you know district side, it just didn't get any better than National Airport. Funny thing, traffic didn't change. Uh, so n- nobody ever said we don't contribute in some parts of the country. The debate has been whether we contribute to the point that uh, we need to be paying more. And nobody's really shown anything here yet that says conclusively that on a national basis we need to be paying more. Now, if the airlines want to do something daring in these really high-density airspace sectors where uh, the GA traffic is, is significant and the airline traffic is already overbooked for the airport capacity through the day, uh, then sign on to something as, uh, as uh, balanced and fair as, as, as slot pricing and peak hour pricing. But you won't do that. So sit down and shut up. <laughs> sorry. No, we're not laughing at your point, Dave. We're laughing at your where we're the laughing. way you make it. Yeah, we're well, laughing at you, Dave. That's, that's my yeah. diplomatic skills. Yeah, that's what it is. That's right. You're so tactful sometimes. <laughs> and anybody who knows Dave knows that here on the podcast, he really is being tactful. It's like you should meet us for Lineys in Oshkosh, you know, or, right. or, or Lakeland, and uh, you'll learn more. Okay, so <laughs> please, <laughs> yeah. So you uh, think that you think that we're going to hear more? We we haven't yet heard from like the alphabet organizations on this, uh, or or the GA alphabet. Strange, strange, strangely quiet from all the GA groups. Yeah. We know that uh, our our good friend and and past podcast past podcast what? guest what for you to say Ed Bolin, uh, who runs the uh, National Business Aviation Association, got a private briefing with the uh, IG's office over at DOT on the content of the report. And what we've heard publicly from that meeting is that there seems to be a great disparity between what the report's black and white text says and what's been released uh, in, uh, in, in form from the Air Transport Association, uh, which kind of adds to that. You know, that's only one side of the story uh, that we've heard. So... Uh, I wish they'd get on with it and tell us what their conclusions are on it. Uh, I, I really need to get a, a, a look at a copy of it. Yeah, the the uh, NBA's website uh, tonight uh, has an item dated March 18, which uh, is two days ago, uh, so uh, on Tuesday. And the item says that uh, um, last week, NBA president and CEO Ed Bolin secured a meeting with the DOT IG. There's a quote in here that says, while we have several questions regarding the report, our understanding of what it says is very much at odds with some of the assertions that have been made about it. As a result, we, we will be meeting with the IG in the near future to discuss the report. I, I, re, I take from that that they have not yet had that full-blown meeting. I think you're right, yeah. Uh, it's been reported but, but it's, that they it's got entirely, a meeting last week, but it yeah, but it's entirely possible. It's entirely possible, Dave, that you know they did have a brief sit down, uh, but the full bore formal meeting has not yet occurred. That's true. 
But we I'm not like saying hear... you're wrong. I'm saying you know we just don't have enough information. Yep. Right. We'd like to hear the rest of the story, but right. just based on past demonstrable, documentable disparities between what's been said by the Air Transport Association and what's known in the public record begs us to be more than a little bit skeptical about this. Right. And, and maybe we should think about getting Ed on uh, sometime near in the near future again. Is Ed going to be in Lakeland? Maybe we get him I'm on sure, the front. I'm sure he, he will be in a, will be. Get him yep. on the front yeah. porch there during uh, one of our episodes in, uh, in at Sun and Fun. <laughs> All right, let's come back to this later on then. Uh, so, what else here? Uh, last episode, uh, I was I was crowing about uh, my new toy, my new iPhone uh, cellular telephone, and everything and, else. And this episode, it's broken and laying in pieces on no, the floor. No, 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 no. It's great. I'm liking it a lot. But uh, after hearing that episode, uh, uh, Will Hawkins, who I mentioned earlier, uh, sent me a, a link to a, a, a kind of cool online flight briefing and and uh, duots getting and flight plan filing and weather getting uh, uh, site called foreflight.com for f-o-r-e flight.com the, the, the first of such services formatted and designed specifically for the iPhone and the iPod Touch yeah and it's it's very cool uh, it uh, provides access to uh, just about every kind of uh, flight briefing information you need there's uh, weather information there's uh, uh, airport information it has access to uh, on most of the uh, airport diagrams that you can get printed versions of. Uh, May I ask a question here? Yeah. Okay. Now. <laughs> I'm sorry. See, this is this is the, the new tactful, this, Dave. This, this is, is the lining kugels talking. Oh, is that what it is, huh? Well, I was just wondering. Now, yeah. the way the the way these two highly intelligent devices are supposed to work, from yeah. my understanding, is. Yeah. That not only can you use them as a telephone and a camera and an MP3 player and uh, a, a, a dry cleaning system for your armpits, but you you can also get on the internet with them. Correct? Yeah, absolutely. There's a web browser so, built in. So, so that's here's the, internet. the question: that's, that's the, that internet? That's the thing with email, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. I'm sorry, Dave. So, Go ahead. Well, so if you can get on the internet, tell me the purpose of a special software. Service. Well, first of all, you, you could to, use yes stuff that's already publicly available for free. You you can in fact use any website that's out there that you can log into. It's it's a full blown web browser, but it is a relatively small screen, and so it's hard sometimes to use a website that's been formatted for a full size screen. When okay, that's this. what I didn't understand. Okay, now there are ways in on the iPhone of kind of enlarging things and zooming in and whatnot when you when you have no choice but to use it. Well, that a, was kind of on the ads too. Right. Ding ding but, ding ding ding. But many people uh, oh, are. Oh look, it gets big. It gets small. Yeah, but many people are are many people many, many website developers are creating not just for the iPhone but for all these handheld devices, Blackberries and cell phones that do web browsing and so forth, creating special versions of their website that are optimized to be used on a smaller screen. And so this uh, so ForeFlight is a uh, is a a. a an online uh, weather and flight briefing and fi- plan- flight plan filing uh, system for item uh, optimized for the iPhone. It's very cool. It uh, it's it's got all the things you need. You know, everything from you know getting access to weather information to airport information to actually getting into duots so you get an official logged briefing to filing now, flight plans to the whole nine yards. It's pretty cool. This says iPhone edition. Yeah. Is there an edition for other types of phones? 
Uh, I don't know. Um, I, you could, I haven't searched around to that extent. Not yet, or they'd be thumping it. Well, there may be another... There may they may have it branded by another name for all we know, but uh, oh, that could be. Um, but anyways, it's kind of cool if you've got an iPhone. After what or, I uh, read about that guy tripping and falling when he was trying to use his iPhone, I think they're dangerous. That wasn't an iPhone that he tripped when he fell. It was a uh, oh, that, that was a MacBook that Air. That's right. That's right. My bad. Yeah, it was a MacBook and Air. And it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, uh, electronic device was not involved. You just don't. You, the first rule is you can't talk about it. So he had to make up something. That's right. He had to make up something. So now I get it. Bloody well, now, didn't get the reference before. You didn't, you didn't get it the first time. Now Not you the do. first time. No, it's kind of like, I, oh I, yeah, okay. So what? The, the first rule is you can't talk. I know you're uh, you're an Edward Norton fan. Our poor listeners today—they're just really all shaking their heads wherever they are. If you've got an iPhone or an iPod Touch and you're a pilot and want to get briefings on the on the fly, <laughs> uh, check out forflight.com. Does uh, this answer the question of whether you can use the bloody thing in flight? Uh, well, technically, the answer we don't know, and that's what, what's making me stutter here, the answer we don't know is, is whether Jeb is correct, and I, I guess I have no doubt that he is correct. Well, no, I have huge doubts that he's correct. He <laughs> so often is. <laughs> but Jeb's claim that that the 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 uh, the legendary prohibition about using your cell phone while in flight well, only applies to old analog phones. Why did you let's do some research? Up. Did you figure this out? No, 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 no. You, the way you the way you stated that, yeah, is is not what I said. I know but you I think you remember what you think I said. But, okay, but, what did what did you say? Talking about the prohibition on what I was referencing anyway was this the supposed prohibition against using a cell phone while airborne in your own airplane. Correct. Okay. Yes. As opposed to being in the back of an airliner. That's a more complicated issue. Yes. Much more complicated issue. Now we tried not uh, to talk about passenger issues. Right. Yeah. yeah. So the, so, the way you stated it, I just kind of set off an alarm. No, no, no. Okay. So, so assuming Jeb is correct that 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 law does not apply to digital cell phones, then uh, you certainly could use this iPhone to get um, this information while you're in the air because you can use it to connect to the internet either by Wi-Fi or by this what they call the AT&T calls their edge network, uh, which is a cell phone based connection to the internet okay yeah so uh so yeah yeah you can you could all do all this stuff anywhere basically anywhere you can get a cell phone signal or better you can well, you're, use not, this. you're not getting down here in time or we go test it well maybe we'll find some time to test it anyways maybe, maybe you can test it in route from sarasota to yeah. lakeland yeah i'm not flying over to lakeland for some so what so what if it works in the air shouldn't it work on the ground we can certainly yeah play with it and get briefings and do the whole yeah. thing Anyways, yeah. all right. Well, that's just way more than I wanted to spend talking about a computer issue. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but uh, take a look at fourflight.com. Yeah, we know. Uh, let's see now some interesting things uh, in the forum um, and in email. Uh, we got a a note from uh, from uh, Matthew from uh, oh I didn't note 
where he's from, but uh, I don't like saying people's last names. Anyways, Matthew, uh, who uh, who just sent us uh, an email, said, I wrote way back over the summer to announce that I was starting flight school at Delta State University. He says, well, now I'm excited to say that I finally earned my private pilot ticket. Yay, Woo-hoo! Matthew. All right. Nice job. Good job, Matt. Just, just open a fresh line, he's in your honor. Yeah. And so he says, after accomplishing that goal, I've like that's what it takes for you to open another. Line. I was going to say, Matt, n- don't don't not to burst your bubble, but he was going to open that beer anyway. That's right. Matt writes, after accomplishing that goal, I've rolled right over into instrument training, and I uh, hope to get a lot of that done over the summer and have my instrument rating by Christmas. And then he tells us to keep up the good work on the podcast. Well, keep up the good work on your flight training. That's awesome. Absolutely, dude. And that's uh, way from, to go. Congrats. He, he signs himself Captain Matt, and uh, so that's terrific. <laughs> that's terrific. I love and then, it. And then we got an email from. From another repeat poster, someone we've heard from in the past, uh, Brad. Sounds like a criminal. That sounds like a criminal trait on a TV show. Brad from Livermore, California, uh, LVK, Livermore Airport. He writes, uh, Brad, we like repeat offenders, by the way. You might recall from my earlier note that I'm three years into the construction of an RV7. He says, while I love working on the project, for one reason or another, it has, for the most part, kept me grounded. After listening to you guys blather, and then he says Dave's word, not mine, he said, I reached the boiling over point and promptly decided to rectify the situation. So a few weeks ago, I drove down to the local flight school, got my BFR and solo checkout, and I am now starting my instrument training, which will hopefully be followed by commercial and CFI certificates. He says, well, I won't, he says, well, I won't give you guys sole credit for motivating me to get out of the cockpit. You sure did pour a lot of ad, av gas on that fire. Brad, so that's, Brad you know... Uh, I'll I'll go with that. No credit at all. Just the idea that you are being so smart getting your instrument ticket because what it'll do to the rest of your flying, by the time you're done with it and start using it day to day, and that's going to be the key. While you're finishing your RV, you need to go out there about once a month. Exercise those muscles, that brain power, and remind yourself of why you're bucking rivets. Mm -hmm. Yep. He goes on to say, not only has your podcast motivated me to get back into the game, it has inspired me to do something else I've wanted to do for a while, write about it. With this in mind, I've started a blog, pilotbrad.com, where I've been writing about my aviation-related experiences and where I will document my journey towards the IFR ticket and beyond. So you can check out that website at pilotbrad.com. And uh, and then maybe the whole reason that I put this... uh, uh, read this letter in the show is the final paragraph where he says thanks again and keep up the great work maybe i'll get to buy you guys a round of lineys at air venture so we're gonna hold you to that brad definitely hold you to that. he signs and, it and if, if if for some reason which is not hard to imagine we don't connect brad the thought is worth it all by itself that's right he signs it clear skies brad from lvk livermore california so that's kind of cool yeah, that's kind of cool. cool. Yeah. Luck with the RV, especially Brad, and we look we look forward to hearing reports on that also. And do check and, out his website, his blog. Yeah, he, I was going to say, nice little website from what I've been able to poke around and look at. He's so, definitely uh, been yeah. keeping up with it. He's been posting a lot of different things about the progress he's made, and uh, um, I believe he blogged just recently that he actually purchased his AirVenture airline tickets already. So that's he's he's yeah he's committed, and uh, so that's great. Uh, one last thing from a listener. Um, we talked, I think it was last week, but we talked recently about wake turbulence, and uh, I, I made some. We were making comments about incidences where we've had it had the opportunity to see the turbulence in smoke or whatnot. And uh, listener Martin 
uh, I'm not supposed to say the last name, so I guess I don't have to worry about how you pronounce it. It's kind of an interesting spelling, but a listener would Martin, be kind of logical. Listener Martin uh, sent in a reference to a website that Jeb refers to a lot, um, which is airliners.net, and he uh, specifically points us to a, a subgallery of pictures of aircraft flying through smoke and clouds, where they've uh, generated yeah. a, a. Oh, that's a beautiful shot. Isn't that a great picture? Huh? It's, yeah, it really uh, wow. is. It shows a uh, an airliner. I'm waiting for it to airliner uh, flying. Looks like it's flying just below the ceiling, and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it, there's an undercast. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and uh, it's. Uh, oh man, I love those high humidity days mm-hmm. when they break out of the overcast and they're on short final. They're on the glide slope, and they're doing that final slowdown to the runway touchdown point. And those vortices light up like white lights yeah, yeah. against the gray sky. Uh, it's just fabulous. Yeah. You can watch them all day. Another great picture, if you scroll down below the picture, there's a, a little series of thumbnails. And it's like the fourth from the left. Uh, there's sort of a white clouds with a blue background. And uh, if you click there, there's a, another cool picture of the wingtip vortices. This one's going over the top of a cloud. So yeah, some neat stuff from listener Martin. Thanks for that. And uh, we'll obviously put links to this. In, if you go into the forum, I think you'll see he's posted this, but we'll put a link to, directly to it in the show notes, too. So Trey Cool. Check out these pictures. Cat here. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Un, deux, trois, quatre. So it's a story uh, on the EAA website just the other day uh, that uh, I'm not sure. It's, a, it's a kind of a long story, but I guess the to summarize it, quickly and maybe poorly, um, some, uh, I guess, FISDOs, but FAA personnel, are now suddenly starting to tell home builders that there are, they're starting to be more strict about enforcing some restrictions on where you can do a first flight of your home build, um, which is technically, of course, a test flight. And uh, I guess the FAA regs say you can't do a uh, let's see now, there's a quote here in the article, FAR 91305, which states, No person may flight test an aircraft except over open water or sparsely populated areas you know, having I'm light sorry, air traffic. That's, that's just such garbage. Yeah. Uh, well, let me put it this way. If they were to enforce that, <laughs> it, you know, uh, uh, across, the, uh, across the logical spectrum, I don't care if it comes out of a Cessna factory or Beach factory or Mooney factory or out of some guy's garage. When it comes out, all the FAA has done is inspected for mechanical integrity. You know, do the control linkages work? Are the rivets bucked properly? Uh, they make no judgment on the aeronautical qualities of the airplane that comes later. So if these guys get barred from flying experimental aircraft in test flight program over populated areas... Cessna and Beach and Boeing and Airbus, uh, Canada Air, uh, there's a whole lot of people in a whole lot of trouble right now because it'll stop about 80% of the flight test operations in the, in the world. Okay, yeah. give, us, give us an example F- of... FAA's not been known for its consistency. I'm going to look up 305 right now. Um, Dave, give us an example of some place where one of the big dogs does flight test near populated areas. Well... Wichita, Kansas. Yeah, okay. I thought that might be one of your examples. <laughs> yeah, there's one for you. They just hopped Wichita, the uh, Kansas. Uh, they just uh, hopped about, the, the Skycatcher, right? Just hopped from one airport to another. Over. Uh huh. And 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 it didn't pop. It didn't fly over populated areas on the way from Cessna Field, which is adjacent to Wichita Mid Continent. If anybody looks at a map, 
or a chart. Cessna Field, which is right at the north edge of, of, of uh, McConnell Air Force Base, and made about the eight-mile flight, maybe six-mile flight, over to Wichita Mid-Continent. Uh, there is no way, no way, no way short of time travel that you can get from one point to the other <laughs> without overflying a populated area. What the FAA is, is is passing off as populated areas and some of these restrictions that their FISDOs have imposed in some part of the country. Uh, if you're going to test fly a new 737 model out of Renton, Washington, there is a lake adjacent to Boeing Field, very nearby. But unless you can take off sideways across the runway in a 737, you're going to fly over populated areas, test flying it. Uh, Everett, Washington, where someday there's a hope, a plan, an, an ambition to fly 787. Uh, uh, one direction or another, that test flight's going to go over a populated area. Uh, Raytheon Aircraft in East Wichita, gee, many Christmas. Uh, it may be close to the most encroached of all of them mm-hmm. because uh, it's in East Wichita. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's hard to fly the pattern. You can fly the pattern over there, but uh, and it's more open on the east side of Beachfield than it is on the west side. No, no doubt about it. Same way with Jabara, just to the north of it. But uh, looking at some of the restricted areas where the FAA has tried to impose this populated area standard, uh, I don't see a bloody thing in our populated areas here that are less uh, uh, exposed to the dangers of flight tests. And where's the record? I mean... We know that there's the occasional faux pas and foul up and crunch on first flights, but where's the record to back this up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There isn't one. Yeah, the, uh, first flights of, of uh, uh, experimental aircraft are, let me, let me put it another way, experimental aircraft on their first flights are not falling out of the sky. Um, unless this regulation, I haven't been able to pull up a copy since the the, the uh, uh, the government printing office's website that uh, has all the regulations on it is down right now. Uh, maybe it's a conspiracy. How um, convenient. How convenient. They knew those uh, uncontrolled airspace guys would be talking about exactly. it at this time. So. But I guess my point is, um, unless this funny. regulation specifically says um, no person uh, may test an experimental aircraft, um, I don't think it does. It, which it does not. Uh, yeah, they, they, this, this is just another can of worms by some um, um, tin-hatted, not that I feel strongly about this, but some tin-hatted you know, <laughs> inspector uh, with delusions of grandeur. Um, well, you'd never and, hear me uh, getting that strident. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, never. So, um, you know, fly standards needs to, you know, pick up the phone, call this guy, and and tell him, you know, read him the riot act, and let's all well, move it, on, it, and we it, can it go it back. Seems to, to be, it seems to be an increasing standard of operation at the federal level of the United States government. It's not that we don't <laughs> have standards; it's just that we've got two. Yeah, for yeah. every situation. So it's like. Bill, the computer story here. Bill Gates once famously said that one thing that's really good about the computer industry, one thing that's good about computer standards is that there are so many of them. 
Well, and that's that's what we have so many you know, FAA safety standards also. Yeah. There's one for you, there's one for me, there's another for Dave. Yeah. You know, and when uh, looking at our little prep website earlier in the day, and, and I looked this up and I looked at the photograph of the airport engaged in this little dispute and could not avoid flashing on all the freaking airplane factories that are at airports that are serving metropolitan areas with high population densities how in the hell can this be consistent oh i'm sorry i forgot they don't have to be yeah well apparently the uh, local f uh, the local eaa chapter uh, chapter 512 uh, uh, led by their president k morgan uh has met with the uh, the uh, fisdo folks uh after being uh, being supported by uh, eaa staff uh, uh they well, if this uh, is if this is more than a one office uh it may bar, turn out it may turn out that if this, this particular is more than a one just, office foo bar then it would be worth the attorney fees to take the whole agency into a federal courtroom and say, uh, so where are you going to ask Boeing to fly the next yeah. 787? Because that's going to be a test flight that's going to necessarily go over populated areas. Yeah. But and even it, if they were doing something that appeared more reasonable, not really was, but appeared like, okay, well, you can fly out of this airport, but you got to go someplace else right. to land right. and then do your test flying over there. Uh, you know, maybe it'd be arguable, right? Defensible, doubtful, right? Well, you know, another thing here too is what constitutes a flight test under this regulation, and I would venture to say that anyone, you know, completing an oil change or an annual inspection or yeah. or any yeah. any kind of work on their airplane, oh, man, a condition inspection, especially something there's you know a little little rule in there or somewhere in the forest that says something about um you know a private pilot or better must fly the airplane after a certain kind of maintenance um, my suggestion now, whoever came up with this remove their thumb and wash it before they put well, it back okay. in their mouth. <laughs> Let's be careful here, though, because this is like, you know, so maybe this is one Wildcat uh, FISDO, but it was one, you know, kind of uh, uh, all it takes FISDO. Is, all, it, all it takes is one to get away with something this... And, and we've seen this before. We've seen this with dual brakes. We've seen this with icing. We've seen this with um, uh, so many other little... Well, I was um, thinking about the one that got Bob Hoover um, grounded. That's, a, that's another example. It, it, and yeah. that one got flamed. And, they, and, and the problem was that FAA then just got backed into a corner, and then they had to defend exactly. these, right. these nuts. Well, you Bob, know, and Bob was able to go to almost any other country on the globe exactly. so and, and we need to pass the necessary test and fly air shows. My point being that although this is a crazy situation with maybe just one FISDO kind of losing their mind, you got to be careful because if you if you back these people too much into a corner, they might start defending each other, and then this could spread. Well, well maybe I, I, the I maybe this, the real I answer paint. here is is to to back them into the corner and and hammer them into submission so they don't do this nonsense say, that's a nice and waste our time and corner. money and our resources. And when they're um, in a that's, corner, they're a lot easier this, to hit. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I don't mean to jump on you, Jack. No, but, I know. Oh, uh, it's fine. Go for it. Um, <laughs> Excuse hey, my heels, though. Yeah, I mean, enough's enough. And uh -huh. and uh, well, we go through I, this about once a year. There's some moron 
who drinks the Kool-Aid and says he's going to do this and he's going to do that, and here's a brand new interpretation of the regulations, and um, it, it's it's just wearying. I mean, they got nothing else better to do. Why can't they go inspect Southwest or something that, well, where there's a rip <laughs> Um, and, and there's no problem here. They should be going out doing something that's a little bit more constructive than making trouble and and uh, causing everybody to waste resources fighting this little uh, uh, tempest in a teapot. Yeah, so we really, can all go do something else. Between I'm this, sorry, I don't have any be, sympathy. Between this foobar and. The approaching one over the, in regards to the review of the 51% rule and its mm-hmm. ramifications, uh, I, I got to feel, I begin to feel like somebody at 800 Independence has taken the Cialis for experimental aircraft. Show me the love. It doesn't really uh, is it really the kind. This is not the kind of reaction we wanted when we well, were when we said, "See it, show us your love." When I pinged. A, a long-time friend who works at 800 Independence and asking the rhetorical and, 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 and obviously brief WTF question mark, question mark, <laughs> question mark. Uh, yeah. The, the response was basically a big sigh uh, and, and an acknowledgement that some people just don't get it and they honestly feel like that if they're not doing something to contribute to the mayhem somewhere, they're just not earning their their paycheck. That's right. Well, that's you know the FAA's motto: "We're not happy till you're not happy." Well, this is uh, this is Sorry. this is, what, this I like is that one. I'm gonna write that one down. This, this is not this is not healthy for what's largely and 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 for a long time been a pretty healthy relationship between right. the experimental community and our friendly aviation administration our favorite uh, agency well it's not like we got a choice yeah. okay. i mean at least if you want to fly in this country well, there, they, there, they, there are other words we can use in place of the f in that acronym well and and Heaven, heaven! I've I've only been working in this area for a, f- a few years, and, and, and <laughs> got to spend a few of those years in very close proximity to folks at 800 Independence, and left the uh, the the beat in in the District of Columbia, uh, r- repeatedly impressed with the dedication and and yeah. uh, uh, devotion and sense of duty of the vast majority of the FAA employees I've ever come in contact with. But as another one of my old-time friends, since retired from the uh, uh, Friendly Aviation Administration, is, is want to remind me, said the FAA is just like every other cross-section of the population. And, and even where you have a majority of really well-intentioned people working really hard to do their best, you just can't help but have a few pencil necks trickle in to screw the whole thing up for everybody else. And that may be what we have here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so That's the- probably what we have here. And, and what we need is for someone uh, who to whom this pencil neck reports to tell him to Sierra – Tango, Foxtrot, Uniform. I like that idea. Uh, okay. I, may I well, recommend a guy named Sturgill? 
Yeah. Well, maybe it won't come to that. Uh, members of uh, EA Chapter 512, uh, with the help of EA National, have uh, we, made their case. And we wish them luck. I would bet money that a guy named Sturgill would answer a phone call from a guy named Poberesny. Now, now that's just based on a few months of experience, well, but I would bet money. You well, know, hope, hopefully all of this will get worked out. Yeah, at, they're going through more routine channels, below. and uh, yeah. and they're waiting now to hear back from the FISDO. And uh, when, uh, when they hear, we'll hear, and the when we hear, of the bureaucracy. we'll belabor this some more later on. Let's see. Uh, yes, I love beating live horses. Okay. Two, uh, two aircraft uh, in-flight incidents here I wanted to uh, talk about. The first one, and uh, for those following along, these are in uh, the opposite order from my little list. The first one, you're always hearing about, you're, you're always hearing about, about people who fly sort of down near sea level and getting themselves in trouble when they fly up in the mountains. Well, apparently it works the other way, too. All right? We have a story here from uh, AOPA.org's website. Um, about a pilot who, and I'm not going to try and read this here, but let me see if I can summarize it here. A pilot who normally flies up in the mountains, lives up in Colorado, and is used to the conditions and the fuel burn in his aircraft and, and the way it performs and whatnot uh, while flying up in the mountains, had occasion to be flying his airplane in, oh, Florida, look. And uh, and so he's flying along there down near sea level <laughs> and uh, calculated his fuel burn and what is, you know, had, but apparently it was just all different. The air is a different thickness and the winds are different and uh, he's used to flying at 7,000 and 9,000 feet and he's now flying at well, 1,000 feet. You can blow the Mason-Dixon line the air actually has a different accent. <laughs> that's right. So that, he's, he, he just hasn't used to flying with all that oxygen. That's what it is. That's what it is. It'll screw you up every time. So he uh, he started to run out of gas but he, he realized he was running out of gas and so he... Uh, oh, that's so thing. that was the problem. So he landed the airplane uh, to buy gas. Uh, the problem is that the airport he landed at, uh, when he got there, he pulled up and saw a no fuel sign. Uh, so he climbed back into the airplane, uh, he and his friends climbed back into the airplane, he took off again to go to another airplane. They were headed for uh, a nearby airport, the Quincy Municipal Airport. They first landed at Tallahassee Commercial Airport. Uh, they headed over to Quincy Municipal Airport, and they didn't make it. <laughs> they uh, ended up landing in an oak tree. And Which is come, notable in itself. The, yeah, here comes the money quote. Go ahead, Jack. What's, well, I don't know what you think is the money quote. My, oh, the money quote's the, in the, the first sentence in the last, next to last. That's crap. exactly the money quote. My favorite yeah. is, so this guy runs out of gas, all right, lands in a tree. Everybody's fine, all right? And, but what happens is the guy, he broke his knee and wrist when he fell out of the tree climbing out of the airplane. So uh, just goes to show you, those airplanes are not very dangerous, but those trees will kill you. Heaven landed a hang glider in a tree once. Uh, there was a reason why we carried we hang glider pilots in the uh, mid to late seventies carried uh, uh, about a hundred feet of light climbing rope so that we could loop it double through the carabiner that we used to hook the hang glider and lower ourselves to the ground. Because the hot setup was to put down on a treetop, and invariably you'd wind up with one wing in one tree and one wing in another, and no way to reach the tree trunk to try to shimmy down. Even further, trying to shimmy down the tree trunk had about a percent injury rate. Yeah, I'm sorry. And I don't want to tell you where half those 60 percent. Yeah. And half of those injuries were required. Emergency room treatment to an embarrassing part of the anatomy. We keep drifting back to this all, all evening long. It's a theme. I think that could be yeah. the title if I could. Oh, never it mind. Yeah. But here, here's, the, here's in my words, you know, the punchline from <laughs> punchline, all this. Punchline. Take a drink. 
if the quote, if that tree hadn't been there, then we would have glided in without a problem. He was that close to that, the other airport? Yeah. Why, is I, that what you considered the money quote? That's the money quote to me. Oh, yeah. okay. I, I, yeah. I like the part that he crashed his airplane in a tree and then broke his leg falling out of the tree. That's, yeah, that's Well, looking at the airplane in the tree, Yeah. I'm kind of like, dude. Yeah. Yeah. It, apparently, it just barely stayed in the tree. Assuming this is not a picture that's like partway during the getting out I of the tree. I don't think so. So, I, 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 there's no left wing that I can see. Um, well, and I'm that. familiar with the Tallahassee Democrat. Uh, there's no way they would cotton a Photoshop job here and put it yeah. on their website. Yeah. So the, the picture we're looking at, and we'll, we'll obviously be linked to it in the show notes. This is we're actually looking at it on the AOPI.org website, but and, it's a now, photo. For that's, anybody that followed the discussion and an episode or so back about crosswind landings, this is not the low wing procedure recommended. <laughs> the picture in the AOPA uh, uh, website is uh, uh, credited to the Tallahassee Democrat, and it shows this aircraft sort of sus- suspended in the tree, sort of almost nose straight up, and, uh, and, and one wing at least obscured in the picture, and you're right, it's kind of hard to see where it might be, uh, but, uh, you know. I know this much, if you open the left side door, where the pilot so, command would have been sitting, the Without your seat belt fastened? Well, that's clearly how he fell out of the tree, I guess. You are definitely going to reach the lobby faster than anybody else. <laughs> On a more positive note, uh, the second, uh, <laughs> the second uh, uh, in-flight incident that we have here is uh, the off-field landing of the week. This is uh, from a, a posting in the forums posted by a, a listener who calls himself Navion Pilot. And uh, interesting story. I'm going to read it here quickly. He says, uh, he says this is my off-field off landing of the week. It's, he didn't make the landing. He's telling the story. He said, yesterday, Friday, March 14th, I was finishing a long day uh, at the office. That's a citation, XLS. He's a, he's a, a corporate pilot of some sort. Uh, he says, I, I started my day at, at ORD O'Hare and uh, via Waukesha, Wisconsin. Uh, Waukesha. Waukesha, excuse me, Waukesha, Waukesha, Wisconsin. I made it to Aspen, Colorado. He said, after a three-hour wait for the weather to clear enough to take off, I was airborne on the last leg of the day from Aspen to Austin, Texas. About 20 minutes into the flight, we heard a distress call on guard, 121.5, from a Cherokee that had crashed due to an engine failure, uh, carb ice, he says, and was facing west. He said, uh, we were at 37,000 feet, or flight level 370, over Colorado Springs, uh, so the call could have been pretty far away. He said, I was happy to find out from the pilot and uh, the three other passengers that they were all okay and there were no injuries. Here's the good part, uh, uh, Navion Pilot writes. He says, quickly, we were relaying lat-long coordinates and altitude to Denver Center and every other bit of available info due to the fact that this pilot had his handheld GPS on board. He gave us all the info that the police needed to find him, including cell phone numbers, exclamation mark, he says. Uh, and then he goes on to say, I read today in a Colorado Springs website that they were found and everything is all right. Kudos to this pilot for keeping his cool and knowing his equipment. He made such a good off-field landing that the aircraft was not damaged. He even got the engine running again in order to charge the battery to turn on his strobe lights, presumably so he could be seen better. Uh, this should motivate us all to read the instruction manual on our nifty GPS units and learn about all the features available. It might be useful one day. And then, uh, and here's the money quote on this one. As a side note, 
note, uh, yeah. AT, uh, this is still Navion pilot writing. He says, as a side note, ATC could not call the guy because their phone lines were down and no controllers could use their cell phones because they are not allowed in Tracon. Perhaps it's time for an upgrade, he writes. Well, and, and it gets better. Yeah. It gets better. Because so, the and, and so Navion Pilot includes a link to a yeah. story at the KKTV.com website. Presumably that's what you're looking at now, right? Exactly. What, what's and, better and there? The better part is that the Cherokee actually made his off-field landing, Cherokee Pilot made the off-field landing on an Air Force base. Not on a runway. Not on a runway, just sort of not, a, not on a runway, inside but on, the fence. A remote inside park. the fence yep. of the Air Force base. And... The ground vehicles, the civilian emergency vehicles, could not find him. The Air Force apparently refused to believe that there was a an aircraft <laughs> down on their property. Okay, here's what I think we should do. Yeah, I think we should get the the FAA inspector who has interpreted the regulations about no test flights over populated areas, I think we should put him in the Air Force and specifically task him with finding uh, downed airplanes on Air Force Base property. I think Particularly he would do an driver, job. at least. Yes, I think he. I think he has 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 uh, risen. He has reached his Peter Principal level, and and he has. Uh, I think we have a job for him. Let's put it that way. Are you going to give him a vehicle or or a burrow? I'm going to give him an ATV uh, limited to twenty miles an hour. Okay. And no heater. And no heater. Or no air conditioner, as the case may be. I'm not going to give him. Dick. Uh, no, 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 no cab. No nothing. <laughs> the governor on it, limited to twenty miles an hour, and and big Nerf bumpers on front and rear, just in case you know he tries to run into something. He can spend his days driving the perimeter. Not that I feel strongly about either topic. So congratulations to this pilot who I don't believe is named in any of these things here, but uh, this pilot who but he uh, will be eventually who managed to land successfully and uh, did a very very good job of passing along information so that he and his his passengers could get rescued and congrats, and, dude, a great landing, one right. from yeah. which you can still fly the aircraft. Absolutely, and you know, especially you know, being able to start the engine up to recharge the battery and stuff like that. That's that's very level headed, good skill. Um, I'm sure we'll. Uh, um, I, I, I don't want to say. I'm sure we'll hear from him, hear from him again, but uh, um, uh, I'm sure he'll uh, he'll have a successful career. And that brings up a suggestion on my part to yeah. whoever the gentleman was. Here we go. Here we go. I see this here. Is it just so we don't hear from him again in the same context? Yeah. You might want to get a little refresher on the use of the carb ice knob. Yes. Carb and heat the knob. conditions carb that heat can, knob, right yeah. the carb carb heat knob and the conditions that can produce carburetor ice. I like it when he's on his second liney. I know, Third. I know. <laughs> he mellows out a little bit. You yeah. know. Third and last. Yeah. Yeah. But we're oh, getting oh, near sure. the end. So congratulations to this pilot. Uh, also, uh, congratulations to uh, Navion pilot uh, who uh, helped out uh, in this. And uh, yeah, very cool, man. It's always neat when you get to help out. Relayed through the airlines and uh, uh, just uh, oh, one other thing. Oh, oh, oh! Yeah. I don't want to forget. Yeah, I just love it to the guy who's flying an XLS for, mm-hmm. for a career. For a career, yeah, is identifying himself as Navion pilot because that's yeah. what he loves to fly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, as opposed to XLS captain or something like boo that. Boo freaking wah, man. Just <laughs> boo freaking wah. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Shout outs. 
Dave, you had one you wanted to do here, right? Was it? I'm changing that horse. Pardon me? I'm changing that horse. I got a shout out. You got a shout out. Okay, go ahead. The, the one I had will hold. Okay. This one I want to get in the system earlier. Go ahead. But for those of you that might be within a, a you know a couple hours flying range of Newton, Kansas, on Saturday, April the nineteenth, an outfit affiliated with the Commemorative Air Force called the Wings of Remembrance are having a pancake fly-in at Newton City County Airport. The designator. Echo Whiskey Kilo. Mm-hmm. Uh, 7.30 in the morning, 10.30 in the morning. Suggested donation is 5 bucks. Uh, don't be tight. Uh, the money that uh, is collected by this is used to hold a uh, an event once a year that really is a Wings of Remembrance event for the uh, combat veterans that are still around from the uh, second big war, the one uh, that our grandfathers and fathers fought in World War II. Uh, so, there is a website, wingsofremembrance.org. Great. Sounds like a great and, event. Uh, yeah. I know that uh, a lot of people won't be in that neighborhood, but then again, airplanes are fairly mobile, and stranger things have happened. Yep. <laughs> Jeb, any shout-out? Yeah, just one, uh, quickly, to an uh, old friend of mine by the name of Jerry, one of the uh, the hangar rats uh, at Manassas. I was going to ask you about him. Yeah, yeah. Um, old friend of mine, uh, hangar rat at Manassas for, for several years, uh, picked up and uh, uh, moved out to New, New Mexico uh, a couple of years ago. Um, took with him um, one of the nicest little uh, debonairs you're ever going to see. Um, he and, and uh, our joint mechanic uh, have been through Lee. it. Uh, Lee. Have been through it. Um, um, nine times uh, from Sunday, nine ways from Sunday, and uh, it's 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 been sorted. It's it's just in tip top condition. Um, he's finally getting getting uh, serious about selling it. He bought a uh, a turboed uh, Bonanza, um, straight tail Bonanza of '68, I believe, uh, a year or so ago, and uh, he's kept his uh, his smaller one, uh, the, the smaller debonair, smaller because it's a, a, a smaller engine. And he's finally getting serious about selling it. Uh, it's just a great little airplane. Uh, so if anybody out there is looking for a uh, a, a debonair that's just been impeccably uh, maintained and impeccably dealt with, uh, and the only you know, thing standing between pink? me and Jerry's airplane is yeah. money. Yeah, I know. Uh, and uh, he's he's uh, he's making a big push here to try to try to sell it finally. Um, and uh, if anybody's interested, let me know. Well, I'll make sure the two of you get hooked up. But uh, and, and, and for um, what it's worth, folks, uh, I met Jerry through Jeb yeah. a number of years ago. Uh, a straighter shooter you won't find. Oh, yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, honest as the day is long. And when, uh, uh, Jeb brought uh, Jerry and their joint mechanic and and, and party buddy Lee uh, to Sun and Fun a couple of times. It was always a treat to see him. But I still remember the day that they landed at Oshkosh for AirVenture uh-huh. just before the air show closed down right. the airspace and got to taxi past the crowd <laughs> pretty much the entire freaking length uh-huh. of 1836. Yeah, we parked in Fond du Lac that year. Yeah, and oh, when, yeah. I, saw, those, when I saw them later that day, uh, J- Jerry and Lee were carrying their jaws around in a hand truck. That's right. 
It's pretty amazing yeah, for the first time. Yeah, no question about it. I remember it. The, the first landing. We we were um, we coming in from uh, uh, Ripon. We were like the the, the air show starts in ten minutes, guys. You got to be on the ground. So I had everything for we're doing like one seventy five over the ground. Uh, come screaming in to, to runway uh, nine, and I'm busy trying to fly the airplane and land and everything like that. And and they're like, "Oh my God, do you see all the airplanes?" <laughs> and, and they're they're just talking back and forth. You know, I almost had to hit the isolate button on the intercom. To, there to are two of the biggest screen. nose prints you ever had to oh, clean off man. the inside of that Debbie's and, glass. And uh, they just they just the whole way uh, the whole week. For that matter, they just kept kept at it. Is they haven't? Uh, um, I don't think they've missed. Maybe maybe Lee missed one since then, um, unavoidably. But uh, they they both ran, in, ran into you later that day, yep. and and then a couple of times subsequent, right before you left. And uh-huh. at no time did Lee or Jerry have a grin smaller than you yeah. could put a right. coal shovel into. Exactly right. Well, Air Venture's yeah. coming up in about, what, six months from now, but in a little over two weeks. No, not six uh, months. We've four got, months? Whatever. It's a ways off, but but coming up very, very soon in about a little over two four, weeks four is uh, Sun and Fun down in Lakeland, Florida. Uh, regular listeners know we've gone into more detail of this, but I just want to quickly want to remind everyone that uh, that uh, Uncontrolled Airspace will be at Sun and Fun. We're going to be recording two episodes, uh, one, on, one on the first day, Tuesday, right after the Daily Air Show, and on... <laughs> Sunday morning uh, or, uh, at 10 o'clock. What's that? Why wasn't I consulted? You guess not. Uh, and uh, so, because uh, we knew you'd run out. Tuesday, right uh, after the Daily Air Show, Sunday morning at 10 a.m., uh, we're going to be doing it from the front porch of the Sun and Fun Radio Building, uh, sort of at the Bring rear. Bring your coffee, your lawn chairs. And hang come, out in front. Come and, and say hi. And, uh, bloody parrots, throw bloody hot donuts at us. That's right. That's right. So that'll be in, in a couple of weeks. So uh, we're, we're all looking forward to that. And we'd love to meet you folks. It would be just a thrill Absolutely. to, to say hello. You learn more about Dave and his work. Actually, these days you're going to Google his name and uh, learn a lot about uh, his photography work and his writing work. Uh, you could also check out the websites for uh, for uh, kit planes and uh, and oh, what's that other one, Dave? I'm sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, World Aircraft Sales Magazine. I'm sorry. See, it's it's one of these foreign magazines, and so I don't. I'm not that familiar with it. But you can go to their websites. Uh, eventually, you'll be able to go to DaveHigdon.com and uh, learn everything you ever wanted to know about Dave Higdon and his work. Learn more about Jeb and his work at Jeb. Burnside.com, also AviationSafetyMagazine.com, and AvWeb.com, myself at JackHodgson.com, and AroundTheField.net, and check out, uh, uh, visit all of us uh, at UncontrolledAirspace.com, particularly check out the forums, which we're, we're really having a good time with lately, and a lot of fun people hanging out there and, and writing and, and chatting and, and organizing meetups, and uh, it's just terrific. It's a, a great group of people there. That's Folks, it. You, make it, make, you make it all worthwhile and seeing the uh, community that's growing up on the forums, uh, you know, I, I hope it's not troublesome that we don't jump in and, and answer more often than we do, but the fact that you all have embraced this and taken it off on your own, made it your own, uh, gratifying beyond belief, and I hope everybody's having a great time. Yeah, but what Dave said, and uh, thank you. Check out all that stuff at, at uncontrolledairspace.com. So that's it for another one. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us here in the virtual hangar, and we'll talk to you all again next time. Shiny side up, folks. <laughs> <laughs>